Hello and welcome to the Modern Romantic Podcast, where we celebrate romanticism through passionate people doing incredible things. Hello, I'm no longer wondering where, but now how is Carmen San Diego? Hi, I'm Trey, and I'm joined by my co-host, Emily. Hi, Hi. Emily. Hi, I'm uh, wondering why is Carmen San Diego? Oh, good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk later because I've got a fun fact about the uh, 90s cartoon of uh, Carmen San Diego. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know who I'm really excited to get to talk to today is our guest. I you, uh... could have guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you do a, uh, a lovely introduction for our wonderful guest today? Absolutely. I would love to. So today we have with us someone who does eco printing by growing her own plants and harvesting them and preparing them to print textiles with leaves and things like that and it's fascinating and amazing and the best part about it is that she teaches other people how to do it too so ladies and gentlemen please welcome nicola brown Yay! Yay! <laughs> thank you for so joining. much for inviting me <laughs> yeah thank you for being here it's so great to talk to you in person and and uh instead of just seeing your posts online it's it's wonderful to interact so thank you for coming. Thank you and, so much for inviting me. Uh, and Nicola, uh, just for our audience out there, you are currently joining us from Ireland, correct? Yes, I'm in a very rural part of Southeast Ireland. So we've actually been having unseasonable weather with thunderstorms and power cuts. So let's hope uh, we get through the show. And if I <laughs> get cut off, you'll know what's happened. We what? are going to talk to anybody that we know to keep that power on. <laughs> right, everybody we know. So what, like, out of curiosity, it's summer there, yes? Like, just like here? Yes, yeah, so it is summer, and usually um, we have fairly dry summers. I mean, in Ireland, we are known for 40 shades of green, and that's because of all the rain we have. But we actually have just had our hottest May, and then June was the hottest ever on record. But for some reason, for the last week or so, we've been having a lot of big thunderstorms. And actually, I've lost my power on several occasions, including for about five hours yesterday morning. Very unusual, very unusual. So um, it's just we've been having a lot of wind and rain and lightning. Wow. Well, it sounds like maybe you needed the rain. We always need rain. <laughs> well, rain is my friend um, because I work in an environmentally mindful way as well. And mm -hmm. I try and be sustainable. I actually harvest the rainwater from the roof of my garden studio. And I use that to water the plants in the dye borders if they need water, because obviously some of them do or seedlings. And I try and be environmentally mindful, but we can always do with more rain. Of course. Yeah, I feel that way, too. We've had a drought here as well. Um, your, your weather is extreme, though. Yeah, we have. <laughs> yeah, in Minnesota, we get, uh, well, we can get down to minus 30, which your time, or your time, your, for Celsius, uh, would be like minus, well, it says minus 34. Oh, my goodness. That is pretty cold. Um, yeah. Here in, yeah, here in. <laughs> Here in Ireland, since I have been living um, in the old farmhouse here that I renovated, 
um, we had one winter where we did reach minus 17 Celsius, but that was only for a couple of nights. I actually got snowed in, so I couldn't get up my own lane for 16 days. There was so much snow. Wow. But that's, there's only been that much snow twice in my life. And the other time I was actually training in England, I wasn't in Ireland. So we don't usually get snow, like we'll have four or five winters in this area where we might see a little bit of white on the top of the mountain, but it doesn't actually affect where I live whatsoever. Okay. But the weather is changing. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, so just for our audience, minus 17 Celsius is like one degree Fahrenheit. One. So it's still, <laughs> still pretty all, cold. <laughs> you're all probably laughing. And no. one of the yeah, one of the things here in Ireland as well, because we don't have such cold weather, is we're not prepared for it. So in the region where I live, you know, there are no snow clouds, there's no salt right. or grit that goes the road we don't have winter tires and i used to live in austria many years ago and of course over there it's cold in the winter but everybody's prepared that's the big issue here in ireland and water pipes tend to burst as well because they're not really buried or insulated very well under the ground but it's great for growing your own dye plants and trees <laughs> yes that's kind of the same for over on the eastern seaboard of the americas it's um yeah, I can say that no one has ever prepared for any kind of weather. They just assume it's going to be sunny all the time. Uh, and then when the first little bits of snowflakes happen, everyone goes into an absolute panic. And before that, because when I lived there, they would just whisper about it on the news and everybody would go buy all the bread and all of the milk and everything from the store. The shelves would be empty because they went, it might snow one day. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> a meteorologist could whisper like from five miles away into the microphone. Yeah. It's going to snow this weekend, <laughs> and everyone would just lose it. It's just yeah, it it is interesting how years ago people you know preserved so much of their own food and did you know the the things that that many modern people don't do now. So I think uh, nowadays you're right. Everybody rushes out and. Certainly during the beginning of the lockdown period here, it was toilet paper that was in, in oh, yeah. very short supply. It went absolutely mad. Same here. Yep. <laughs> Why toilet paper of all things? <laughs> like I can make my own bread, but toilet paper is a little diff more difficult. Yep. 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 Definitely. Definitely. So, so what got you in, what got you interested in eco printing at the beginning? I suppose I would have to go back a little bit before I was ever involved in textiles. Okay. So I've always enjoyed working with my hands and I've always enjoyed being outside. And all I ever really wanted to do was work with horses. So initially I trained to teach people to ride and I worked with horses for you know nearly 30 years, I suppose. And I've always also enjoyed growing things and gardening. So I didn't realize at the beginning that my grandmother, her father actually was a linen merchant in Scotland. And I've had an affinity for textiles, but I didn't really know where that passion and affinity came from. I'm, I've never been good at painting, but I was involved in organizing a sustainable not-for-profit festival. I was joint organizer. And a Spanish lady who lives close to me said she would love to offer felt-making workshops for children. 
And she said that, you know, in Ireland, you have so many sheep and people don't use the sheep's wool so much anymore. And she would love to offer workshops free to children at the festival. So I had actually seen um, a beautiful felt wall hanging at an event, but I had no concept that felt was a non-woven fabric and how it was made. I knew it was made from wool, but I, I knew no more. So I said to Carmen that I would love her to facilitate the workshop at the festival, but I had one condition and that was that she would throw it open for adults as well. And she said, oh, no, no, adults wouldn't want to learn. And I said, well, you know, I'm the organizer and I would like to learn. So it's adults and children or no one. So I was obsessed with felt making. I, I've always loved art, but I'm not able to draw or paint. I can't make my hands do what I want them to do, but I found the wool, I could manipulate it better. I still always uh, keep things simple and, and natural and crafted. I don't make very complicated shapes. I leave that to other people. But very soon I started teaching felt making in America actually, and then subsequently in Portugal. And one of my students who came to a residential workshop in Portugal, she flew in from Hong Kong and we had become friends online and she came to do the workshop and she offered at the end of our week together to do a demonstration about eco printing. And I had heard about it, but to be honest, I hadn't been very interested. But of course, I said to Taria, we'd love her to you know, do the demo. Uh, thankfully, I said it because she brought some supplies with her and I, I'm sure I would have hurt her if I had said no. So I was really, really happy I said yes. And she proceeded to um, share some information and she printed a silk scarf and it looked beautiful. So I came home to Ireland, I experimented a little bit, wasn't happy with my results at all. So I just put it aside. I thought, well, it's for other people. But the following year I was teaching in California and another, um, another friend, she's actually from the Ukraine, but she lives in Sacramento. She came to visit me in the studio where I was teaching and she gave me a gift of a beautiful eco-printed felt scarf and it was absolutely glorious and i was saying oh my goodness you know nina this is just amazing uh, or nika and she said i don't know what you're doing in europe you need to boil the bottom out of your saucepan for five hours and she said you will get fantastic results so i came home from my my felt making teaching um trip and i decided to try what nika said and suddenly I was getting good, achieving some very nice results, not all the time, but very nice results. And the reason that felt is such a good surface to receive the eco prints is actually because any protein based fabric from an animal, so cashmere from or from mohair or mm -hmm. silk or wool, they take the color much easier when you're working without chemicals to fix the color. And so suddenly I became passionate about eco printing on my felt. And then I became passionate about eco printing silk to incorporate into my felt. And then it just went from there. But so if she hadn't said to me about, you know, boiling the bottom out of your saucepan, I would just have continued to leave it for other people because felt making really was my big passion. But once I did start eco printing, I have 18 acres on my property and I renovated an old farmhouse. I had already planted over 13 and a half thousand trees. So suddenly I was looking at everything that I was planting in a different light mm -hmm. as a potential 
a potential source of vegetation to print with. And then I discovered that when you were working without using the traditional powdered mordants or chemicals, very, um, not every sort of vegetation would print. Whereas if you use the chemicals, you can print with anything. So that's what I've become known for. And I love it. And I love sharing it with, you know, other people who are environmentally mindful and, you know, health conscious. Right. So that's it, really. Uh, you said boiling the bottom out of a pot. That doesn't, that, tell me what that is, because that doesn't sound feasible, really. It well, doesn't it's sound exactly, possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's really, um, exactly what it sounds like so the process as i actually use it i select a reactive metal pot so that would be something like aluminium or cast iron or copper okay i don't work in stainless steel or enamel so once i have a reactive pot and i wrap my fabric with the vegetation i've chosen to use if i also roll my bundles up on metal i can achieve different colors a modification of color so, for example, the scarf that I'm wearing myself now, um, for anybody who can see on the video afterwards, it's got very dark um, tones. I like dark color myself. But if I wrap my fabric on a copper plumbing pipe, I will achieve much brighter and more yellow tones. Okay. So once I have my bundles prepared and tied very tightly with the chosen vegetation, I bring the dirty pot as it's called to a boil so i have a big pot and that is filled in my case with water with vinegar and with optional eucalyptus vegetation and maybe onion skins and i also put some big chunks of rusty metal in so uh eco printing is great if you're like a magpie like me and you have a pickup truck and you love picking up old exhaust pipes and things from the side of the road because all of these may be used to wrap your textiles on or put in the pot and modify the result that you get. And then I bring the pot to a boil. And I see in the chat that somebody is saying it sounds like quite the interesting soup. Absolutely, it is. And I'm really, really keen on using eucalyptus leaves in my dirty pot as well, because I find that they enhance the background color of what I am uh printing okay and we probably most people know that eucalyptus leaves or eucalyptus as a tree contains a lot of oil so after i've had an eco printing session i bring that pot liquid to a boil and depending on on what i've wrapped my fabric with i would then boil from between two um hours up to about five hours depending on the leaves that are in the wrapped with the fabric but when that water cools down, if I go back the next day and look at it, it's it's black as the ace of spades and it's got a slick of oil on top that looks like gasoline on top. And that's actually the oil from the eucalyptus leaves oh. that, have, that have, you know, it's released that oil during the process. And I reuse my pot liquid for six months or seven months on end. The only time I would... Um, decide to start a new pot would be if for some very specific reason I wanted to achieve a very um, specific color such as maybe a red color in the background or if I was heading to facilitate a face-to-face workshop which I used to do a lot more and that I would need to pack the the um, pot into my pickup truck that would be the only reason I wouldn't reuse the water I like to reuse it for months on end and 
the metal of the path and what the metal of the path and the metal of any rusty metal I add into it all influences the color and the rusty metal helps the pieces be more wash proof and color fast because who wants to create textiles that you can't shove in the washing machine? Right. <laughs> that was one of my questions actually too, is how <laughs> yeah. long this would last. But the, yeah, the vinegar so, helps set it too, doesn't it? Well, realistically, vinegar is considered to be a modifier and not a mordant. Hmm. So a mordant would be the chemical that fixes the color. So that would be something like potassium alum sulfate, okay. potassium or ferrous sulfate, copper sulfate, alum acetate. They chemically structurally alter the fabric and you, you would make a solution of them based on the weight of the fabric you wanted to dye or print. And then you would bring that solution with the fabric in it up to temperature and hold it for an hour. And that chemically alters the structure of the fabric. So if you wash the fabric, the mordant is impregnated in it. Okay. And then it makes it easy for the fabric to receive the dye color. Whereas what I do, I'm not doing that mordant at the beginning. So in my case, certain vegetation likes vinegar because it's acidic. Mm -hmm. uh, so eucalyptus is one of the leaves that actually releases, it appears to give better prints with vinegar. But vinegar is a modifier. So if I soak my fabric in vinegar and wash the fabric, the vinegar washes out. But the effect of what it does to the metal and the vegetation is what I like. Okay. And it doesn't matter how many people say, how many scientists say it shouldn't make a difference. It does make a difference. <laughs> I've done loads of tests and I have pieces that had vinegar and pieces that didn't. It makes a big difference. But they're all providing people use the vegetation that I recommend. Um, everything is washable for years to come. You sound like such an incredible chemist when it comes to those things. And you're able to just talk about the, the reactions of things. And it's incredibly fascinating that this is both an artistic and a, a almost a scientific process. Yeah, there. Yes, I have to say, Trey, there are very many more people who eco print, who do use the chemicals, the powder chemicals um, to fix the color. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that I choose not to use them because I prefer to be more environmentally mindful and health conscious. And that's why many people follow me. They've often had health issues and they don't want to be inhaling the powders. You need to be careful when you're using them. Um, the thing about using the mordants it's very, very precise. So people who do use them, it, it is, you know, there's a, a chemical reaction. So people would weigh their fabric or their fiber. They would weigh the amount of natural dye product they were using. They would weigh the amount of the powdered mordant and they would use a non-reactive pot such as um, stainless steel or glass or enamel. Whereas I'm working in a more organic and intuitive way, but I'm still harnessing that chemical reaction. But for me, um, I only have so many hours in the day and so many brain cells. I'm actually helping care for my mom with Alzheimer's and dad's cousin with dementia part time. So I don't always need to know exactly why it works or not, not why it works or how it works. I leave that to the people who are more precise and they really do want to achieve the same result time after time. And for me, um, what's also fascinating is that vegetation that I grow here in the southeast of Ireland, uh, Japanese maple would be an example. 
I get no good prints from Japanese maple, but my friend who lives one and a half hours away and her soil is different, she gets fantastic prints from hers. Wow. And yeah, it's really fascinating. And I have um, some specific trees, a eucalyptus archery, or it's commonly called a cider gum, and it gives completely different color after there's been sustained rain. It's mm. not great color before rain and after rain it gives beautiful color so i just like that the fact that it's not the same every time i 80 of the time as an experienced eco printer without the chemicals i understand and i know what i should get but there's always that element of surprise and sure. elation and sometimes frustration but you can just print it again right i love it oh go ahead Trey. no go ahead I was just going to comment that I love that that makes it art as well, that that becomes something that you can't mass produce. Like it is yes. different and every time. I think the word unique is used too often, mm. but each piece, it can never be replicated. And in fact, that's one of the beauties to me, but it is also from the commercial perspective, it's probably... Um, it, it doesn't make it very financially viable to sell eco prints commercially um, to shops, for example, unless you're using the chemicals to fix the color because people have a very fixed idea of what they want. And because the seasonality plays such an important part, that can make it difficult. Mm -hmm. And um, I've learned over the years, I don't like doing commissions because sure as anything, I won't get <laughs> the color I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, the only thing that's extremely reliable all the time and gives color um, all the time, onion skins give really good color. Oh. So um, it doesn't matter what fabric you're printing on with onion skins, whereas with other uh, with other sorts of vegetation, you get very different prints on, let's say, linen or cotton, anything that's plant-based, than you do from the protein-based wool or silk. I saw that chair. Oh, go ahead, Trey. You had like a question or something. I'm sorry. Um, no, just a comment of it kind of reminds me of like baking in that your final product is never really going to be exactly the same. It's going to have like essences of what you were doing, but it's never going to be truly the same way every single time. Um, so it's very similar to what Emily was just saying. And it's really interesting, Trey, that you've said that because I've just started facilitating a free three-day boot camp and at the beginning I was explaining I have many people from all over the world who have joined and whether people are totally new or they're moving over from working with the mordants the really interesting thing is eco printing at the beginning the foundations it's like people go wild it's like with a recipe if they follow a, a, a recipe at the beginning you know, and do something simple, let's say an omelet or a soda bread or something. That's okay. You wouldn't tackle a five-tier wedding cake with um, fondant icing as your first project. But there's something about eco-printing and people just go wild. And they've got all these flowers and leaves in their garden. And I can say, please stick to onion skin. <laughs> <You> won't <laughs> please do not do X, Y, and Z. But people want to change that recipe all the time. So I have sort of like a little, uh, you know, I, I will give very clear guidelines on what will give good results. And the people who follow what I suggest 
get spectacularly good results. But after any teaching experience, there will always be someone who says, oh, well, I know you said Nicola not to, but I just had to. And I don't know why it didn't work. And the reason it didn't work is that they put some other leaf in their pot and the tannin leached out. It had a reaction with the iron. Tannin and iron make black and they get no prints. You know, it's as mm. simple as that. They've done something, but they don't seem to understand. So relating it to cooking is an easier way. If you, if you replace all the flour with salt, well, nobody's going to want to eat your thing. So if you replace <laughs> one of the ingredients, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, yeah. um, oh God, I had a thought. Emily, go ahead. I was going to ask, um, do uh -huh. you, as far as onion skin specifically goes, do you find a difference in different types of onions then too, like a purple onion, or here they call it a red onion, versus a regular white or yellow onion? Yes, and I think I call what you call a white one, I think I call it brown. Are they the ones with the brown papery outside, or do they white look white? ones have, kind of, yeah, once it dries, it's kind of brown papery because we have white onions that look white oh and actually we have both so that, yeah we so both. i think you're talking about the ones that i would call brown onions okay um so it's very interesting you ask this question when i started eco printing i found that the red onion skins which look that little bit purpley and what i call brown onions but you may call white that, that outside papery skin from both of them always gave the same color. And I can see in the comments, thank you so much, Archer33X. Um, the yellow onions are the ones that have the brown papery skin and the white onions have white skin. So okay. yeah. I would be saying that yellow onions are what, what I use the most. Okay. And at the beginning, I found that they gave the same color. But strangely enough, over the years, I have noticed that the red onions or the, you know, purpley red ones now, they can give a lot more of an olivey green color. And vegetation does not print the color that it looks. That's very important to say. Although onion skins tend to print similarly to what they look, most vegetation doesn't. And when I first noticed the red onions giving a different color, I then identified that some of the onions that I had been getting the skins from were actually imported, not because I was buying imported onions, but because somebody was saving the onion skins for me. Oh. And they obviously were growing in a hotter climate. Oh. So now if I had a choice, the yellow onions are my favorite. The, the print is the best from the yellow onions. And if you think about an onion and it's got that rounded shape, the very outside of the um, onion, that outer curve, when that piece of onion skin makes contact with the fabric, that releases more dye than if the inner curve was in contact with the fabric. Wow. So if I'm actually making something with the mirror image, I have to put some up and some down. Otherwise, I won't get a balanced print. Interesting. And it it's the same with many leaves, so rose leaves. If you had a bouquet of flowers, somebody gave you flowers for your birthday, a really nice thing would be to use some of the vegetation from that bouquet to make prints. So rose yeah. leaves would be one of the, the leaves that the underneath of the rose leaf gives a much stronger print than the upper surface of the rose leaf. Both are beautiful, but you need to be very careful how you position them on your fabric. 
Wow. I wouldn't have thought of that, which side would make the bigger difference. But yeah, I could see why that makes sense. And also, particularly people who are starting to eco-print, they usually don't have a very big pot. And so it's not possible if you were printing a big blanket, you know, you've got to fold it multiple times before you roll it up. Therefore, you're going to have some mirror images if you're folding it. So you've got to be really considered and take your time, um, you know, about the vegetation. I'm now thinking back to, because we would do tessellations in a lot of my math classes, um, and we would have to be very considerate about how we would go about putting those images together. And what we would think would go into a lot of those would wind up not being the final product. We would think that, oh, I'll position it like this and it'll turn out like this. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. Uh, the question I have for you is, it sounds like you've worked with quite a number of different vegetation. Uh, what are some, what are some foliage, uh, ex I'm failing on words at the moment, but what kinds of foliage yep. are you still wanting to work with? Well, everybody gets leaf envy. And even though I have over 13 and a half thousand trees planted here, I have leaf envy. Uh, teak leaves. Teak leaves give spectacularly good prints without traditional powdered mordants. And I have a friend who's living in South America and she also gets wonderful prints from the flowers from the teak tree. So that would be something I would love to print with. But if people are interested in um, trying eco-printing for themselves, I always recommend that, that they start with onion skins because they are guaranteed to give a good print and they don't need so long in the pot. But other leaves, um, in Ireland we have a lot of brambles or wild blackberries. Those leaves are very good. They're particularly good on linen. And then there's a weed that's very uh, prevalent in parts of North America called Rose Bay Willow Herb. But you may know that as fireweed. Okay. That, yeah. gives really, that gives really good prints. And there are a whole lot of plants such as Cotinus cagreria, which is commonly called smokebush. There are quite a few plants that give very good prints, but there are other trees and plants that give good prints in specific countries. So in North America and Canada, for example, most oak leaves print very well. But here in Ireland, it's all to do with the temperature of our climate and the, you know, the seasons. The oak leaves only print for me in the late winter and the early spring, the oldest leaves, maybe, maybe the late autumn, none of the young, fresh foliage prints. It's always better to use um, older foliage. Okay. Hmm. But teak leaves, I'd love teak leaves. <laughs> So, what color? Uh, do, oh, sorry. No, uh, just a quick question about the teak leaves. Yeah. Um, specifically, do they need to be fresh or can they be um, like slightly matured uh, or like how soon well, after they are picked do you need to use them? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I have not personally used teak leaves, but I know from um, some of my students who have that they would behave in a similar way to any other tough leaf because they're a big, tough leaf. So you can just store your leaves dry and you can store them for years on end. I have some leaves here in my neighboring farmer's shed that I have been storing for about seven years. It's not as if I don't have enough space here but i filled a whole shed when somebody else's tree fell down <laughs> and, 
<laughs> so it's very easy to reconstitute um you know tougher leaves because all you need to do is soak them either in warm water for 10 minutes or overnight in cold water and make them soft and pliable again and then eucalyptus leaves in particular they can be soaked for months on end and they go quite slimy but actually if you then dab them with a towel to sort of towel dry them they give very interesting prints they release different color after they have been soaked for a long time and the liquid that they are soaked in can be used to enhance the color of what you get from your from your actual printing pot. Oh. But other leaves, I wouldn't bother trying to myself trying to store things like rose leaves or any softer leaf, because unless you're prepared to either freeze them or um, flatten them and dry them, they're just going to, you know, sort of crumple up. So I don't bother. And in Ireland, you know, we don't have harsh winters, so there is vegetation uh, most of the year. But I also think it's always easy that, you know, people think grass is always green and people who come online and participate in workshops with me, they want to try multiple sorts of vegetation. I try each year to just add in one new leaf into my repertoire. And I didn't actually add a new one in last year, but previously um, the Rose Bay Willow Herb leaves were a revelation. I had been always printing with the seed pods. Um, so you don't have to have a lot of different leaves to be an effective eco printer and create beautiful textiles. Because once you understand that the different metals and the different pots that you use, there'll be different chemical reactions, then you can expand your color palette. If I come across anybody that is a trader of teak leaves, I will make sure that you get a, an entire case of them. Well, thank you. Now, th and that actually, thank you for the kind offer, Trey. But that is actually something that I would just like to say to people, you should not post leaves cross borders because of the issue of um, importing disease. So that, that is a big thing. So, there, so that is just something to be quite careful of. I, I will be teaching in Australia later in the year. And I have to say, it would be very tempting to bring some of their beautiful leaves home with me. Um, but you shouldn't transport them across borders. So I would say thank you, Trey. But unless they are legally allowed to export them, I would have to decline. I just don't want people sending vegetation across different states. Right. And getting, getting arrested for it. <laughs> <laughs> but you could go to where a where teak leaves are naturally, like uh, natively. Yes, but I couldn't bring them home to Ireland. But totally you, not. You could just eco print there on site. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So if you find them, trade no, absolutely. One of my students in um, quite a number of years ago, um, when I started teaching eco printing online she and her partner or boyfriend they went to some place that was off the grid it was some tropical island i think and at one stage she put, they they were cooking with um you know on a wood burning you know they, they made a kind of a wood burning thing outside like a a fire pit and they had a small pot but she took a photo of her boyfriend wearing a silk sort of a hawaiian style shirt but it was just a plain color and it literally had just one big teak leaf on either side at the front and a huge one on the back. And she took a photo of them 
in this teak forest. And I kid you not, some of the leaves look to be about three feet long. I, I don't oh, know how wow. big they were, but they, 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 they probably weren't three feet long, but they were probably two feet. They were absolutely huge and they were knee deep in these leaves. I've rarely been so jealous. <laughs> and they, I think you were asking Emily um, what color they print. They yes. seem to print from a sort of a rich chocolate to almost a madder red color. Okay. Nice. That's without using the traditional powdered mordants, and they may give it a different range of color. You know, if you have different mordants and you modify the color as well, and maybe change the pH of your water if you're using mordants. Fascinating. Yeah. Do you have? I I saw somewhere online, and it's been many years now. Someone who did, it was more dyeing than eco printing. They had a sample book they had created for themselves to know what combinations would create which colors under yeah. what circumstances. So she had a, a her own guide for where mm -hmm. she lived and the native plants and things like that. Do you yeah. keep something similar for yourself? Well, the simple answer is no, I don't anymore. Okay. But quite a few years ago, um, I had some, you know, mentoring from our Design and Crafts Council, and they really wanted me to become involved in, um, you know, doing trade orders for galleries and for, you know, high-end craft shops. So I did try that for a couple of years. I hated every second of it. I loved going to the events and getting the orders, but it was a nightmare um, trying to actually fulfill them. And I discovered I hate packaging. I hate every aspect of it. Just let me grow the plants and share what I do with other people, but don't let me let me lose. But at sure. that stage, what I did was I had, um, particularly with the locally woven lambs wool, um, I actually, you know, printed with onion skins, with oak leaves, with blackberry leaves, with different varieties of eucalyptus, because the, each variety of eucalyptus gives a different color, and many of them give red but not all. Um, so yes, so I printed all these samples, but really realistically, because the season and the current growing conditions affect it so much, it's nothing like as precise. If I was using Mordens, I could achieve the same color time after time, and I can. Um, so it just, it just didn't work for me, but I do have plenty of samples and I, I enjoy showing the samples to people, but if we use the same vegetation tomorrow, we might not get exactly the same results. Right, that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Plus, you have so much knowledge already in your brain. I could see why. Plus, your appreciation for the art of it seems to be more important than the consistency of it. Yeah, I don't want... I, I always want to achieve good prints, but I'm happy that I can achieve what's in my head 80% of the time. And then there's that serendipity. And if something doesn't work out, that's something I'm very clear on saying to people who participate in, in um, any online learning experience with me, that's not the end of the world. With what I do, you just overprint it. And sometimes some of the best results come when you just go back with the textile and you print on top of your failure and you end up with something really beautiful so um watching the seasons change the whole part the the it's part of the wider i suppose ecological aspect of what i do is growing the plants and watching the seasons change and enjoying 
all of that. And that doesn't mean I don't want to produce the perfect print, but every everybody's idea of it is different as well. Of course, true. Um, you've mentioned a, a few times of the classes that you're teaching and that you are very much an educator. Um, first and foremost, let me say, I'm thankful that you're sharing all of this knowledge and that you're uninhibited about sharing that. Uh, we've encountered, uh, like between Emily and I, many different artists who will almost gatekeep some of their secrets for things. And you are very, very open about sharing this. So let me just say thank you. Um, my question is, so if I were to come to one of your classes, um, what are some things that I should know before taking uh, or signing up for one of your classes? If you were to come to one of them, I would say to you, if you're prepared to come with an open mind and listen and actually follow the step-by-step -step process as I would share it with you, I can guarantee you will get fantastic results. But equally, I can guarantee that probably 70% of people won't do that. And they will, they may have good results or they may not have great results. But if you follow what I suggest at the beginning and you get a solid foundation, you're, I can guarantee you will have fantastic results. I have so many people who have done really brilliantly just from some of my free learning experiences. And thanks for saying I'm willing to share things. I'm always willing to share things. Um, what I have developed now is I have a membership program, which isn't a low ticket item. And so I share my knowledge freely, but it's when people work on a, on a more close level with me, I'm there to answer their questions and give them feedback. It's really, it's the implementation of the knowledge. So the knowledge is there, but, but so few people actually follow it. And there also is obviously a lot of false information out there or people who dabbled in something and I, I see time and time again, people are convinced they can get fantastic eco prints from flowers. And yes, you can if you use mordants, but it doesn't work without mordants in the same way. So people will print and they think they've got lovely prints. And about a week later, it looks like a bird has pooped on their flower. <laughs> Excuse me, but it's just... And then, <laughs> and then they're disappointed, but they don't know why, and they just don't understand. They just need that solid foundation, and then you can experiment yourself. Right. Yeah. And also, it's quite interesting. Um, I now have a secure income because of my membership club and the online co courses that I facilitate. I have a secure income. I never Good. had a secure income before. Yeah. But yeah. what is really interesting is time is money and people even though if i might explain that really it's best to start with wool or silk people thinking oh well that's expensive i'll use a piece of old bed linen or something an old sheet and that's not to say you can't print your sheets you do not get the same results and then you've what you've spent all this time it's quite a time consuming process and you've got disappointing results and you don't know why. I mean, I would say go to the thrift store or an op shop, buy an old blanket, get a, you know, silk top, get, get a, a wool jumper. Print, it, it's false economy. You know, you're spending your time and, and you're putting all this energy and mental energy in just to be set yourself up for disappointment. It's very frustrating. So I would just encourage everybody who would come to a, a workshop or an online learning experience don't penny pinch don't overextend yourself but but just if i say an aluminium pot is the best pot use an aluminium pot right 
Yeah, I can I can yeah. vouch for the fiber thing too because I, I have a background in sewing and costuming and fashion design, and mm-hmm. there are here in America we have an overwhelming amount of polyester clothing in the stores and it's disappointing to me because to me cotton and linen and silk and wool aren't so crazy expensive that I feel it's like I feel it's worth it to just go ahead and do that I'm I don't believe in like throwing away clothes after you've worn them once anyway but and some people do unfortunately however I I believe in natural fibers and I believe in how they well the eco side of it but also comfort level durability and all of those things is 100 percent worth whatever you're paying for those fibers and it is always worth also it looks so much more amazing you're never going to get the same thing with polyester ever no and from the eco printing perspective it is also interesting polyester won't take the color whatsoever right. so even if you buy a garment in a thrift store and it has polyester and um, stitching um you do have to just be careful about that but funnily enough nylon takes the color fantastically well oh but i don't want to wear i don't want to wear nylon no so i mm. i personally only deal myself in natural um fibers yeah. But nylon does take the color very well. Interesting. I wouldn't have expected yeah, that. I, no, I, I didn't expect it either, but it, it does because, you know, I was facilitating workshops. Somebody brought some nylon leggings and I thought, oh, these won't work. And oh my goodness, the color was fantastic. Hmm. But I use one artificial fiber in my wet felting practice and it's called Trilobal Nylon. And the um, trademark name is Firestar. And that's a really wonderful um shimmery fiber it's very hard to explain as somebody who really loves natural <laughs> fibers right. but when you're wet felting if i start and i have maybe a fine layer of wool fiber and then usually i'll put a fine layer of a cellulose fiber i might put tencel which is made from eucalyptus um mm-hmm. so the tencel doesn't take the color in the same way as the wool. So immediately if I eco print a piece in a natural undyed white wool with tencel, I've got color and then I've got a shimmer of the the um, tencel on top. But if I put nylon, the trilobal nylon on top again, it takes the color and it just gives this shine. It's like reflective. It's it's really very beautiful. It's a bit like looking at a dragonfly's wings sometimes. Okay. You know when they change and the light changes. You kind of say, is there something on that scarf or not? And you've just got that little, little hint of something. Sophistication. That's the only artificial fiber I have in my house, probably, and that I do use sometimes. So we all make choices. Of course. Yeah. And that's fascinating, though. I'm I watching somebody. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I know. Emily, go. Emily, go. Oh, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm seeing in the comments here somebody saying mm, blackberries, and they're pretty sure they have fireweed and smokebush in their yard. And they all give really good prints. And in fact, just before uh, we came on air, I have eaten the first blackberries of the season, which would be really early for Ireland. Um, yeah. That's exciting. The- yeah. Delicious. I, yes, delicious. I love those. Time, time to plant some. We have, I have raspberries, but not blackberries. Actually, raspberry leaves also um, tend to print well. Oh. I haven't used them very often, but they do print well. 
And for anybody who is interested in trying eco printing for themselves, um, another tip that I would give people is not to try and vomit the vegetation onto your fabric. Try and have a little bit of restraint. Less is more. The negative space is equally beautiful. And um, so I would say not to put five different types of leaves on, on a piece, like use all raspberry leaves or all blackberry or all rose, and you okay. can end up with much more attractive pieces and more sophisticated. And if you just throw everything on, sure as eggs are eggs, some of them will not print well, and you mm. will have these big gaps in your scarf. So my recommendation until you have experimented and you know what prints well in your own area is just stick to one sort of vegetation on each piece. Sure, that makes sense. Plus, you could take, my thought is immediately goes into design. You could take yep. like an, your onion skins, like your base, mm -hmm. what you recommend, and you could you can cut an onion skin to be a shape, right? So absolutely. So you could make shapes with that without having to, like you said, yes. flowers don't print well, but you could create a flower out of onion skins. Absolutely. Um, w with experience, there are other um, subtle variations of the process that you can implement. So you can print with certain flowers at a later date, but it's, it's um, to do with tannin and iron reactions, and you need two pieces of fabric and a paper barrier. So it's not, not, not a beginner's project. And in that case, even if you don't get a good print from the flower, you may get an outline of the flower, which is attractive by itself. Sure. But certainly you can. Um, yes, you can cut up your vegetation. And I know um, there's a very well-known textile artist called Pam de Groot in Australia in the Blue Mountains. She's a friend of mine. She years ago punched holes out of eucalyptus leaves, you know, using, I don't know what you call it, but we call it a hole punch. Yeah, hole punch. Yeah. yeah. And so she then used leaves and they had these little circle, circular holes. So, you know, there was different color where the leaf made contact with the fabric, where the little circles were. Okay. And I did a really interesting project with people of mixed abilities. It was um, as a sort of a community-based project, and some of the people had severe um, physical or mental. Um, I'm not sure that we're allowed to use the word disabilities yeah. anymore, but but it was people of mixed abilities. Sure. It's hard to be politically correct. And there was one. Um, there was one woman and she was very very shy and quiet at the beginning and we had six sessions together and as each session progressed she got more and more and more engaged with the process and i never knew what had happened to these people before um but some of the the adults had been living institutionally for many years and some had suffered different forms of abuse and she turned out to have a wicked sense of humor and I heard her laughing one day, you know, and I looked around and she got she got the paper punch thing and removed the bottom of it. And she'd thrown all these bits of newspaper, like little or magazines, the little round bits that people yeah. had punched out. She put them onto the eco prints. And one of the things working with these people was, you know, you never wanted to say, oh, don't do it. So, you know, I thought, well, we'll just run with this. It'll be a disaster. You know? <laughs> it worked really well because the dye from the magazines actually then dyed, you know, it was an artificial dye, but it dyed and gave these little round spots on the eco printed fabric, which was really very nice. 
and the fabric was used for an installation. It wasn't going to be worn, so it didn't have to be washed many times. But another time I heard her chuckling as well and I looked around and she put a rubber glove in the bundle. And so where the rubber glove made contact with the fabric, it prevented some of the natural dye from the leaves going into it. So there was like that outline of the hand on her fabric. It was just really interesting. Yeah. And it showed me as well, I should have a more open mind because I want everybody to achieve good prints. I am quite strict when I'm teaching usually. Uh-huh. Because why come to me for for a, a you know a course if it is face to face if you don't want to achieve right. good print so I, I am relatively strict so I had to sort of relax my uh, methods a little bit when I was teaching this group and it was really enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what is art to another person? I mean, yeah, I, no one may have thought to throw a rubber glove in there but that one person but to them that's still art and it's quirky and different so and then of course when the glove it was a sort of a creamy glove so the glove itself took the print oh but but it, it masked the area on the fabric but the glove actually took the print so um you can also print on paper and what i like to use is there's a a paper it's a it's we call it wallpaper lining paper so if you had an old house and your walls were not in great condition you might put this creamy white paper on before you put your fancy wallpaper on and that Mm. really takes very very good um color so um that can be good fun so those particular students did loads of paper as well and they made fantastic um pieces that they just suspended from a big high ceiling and they all blew in the wind. They were a really interesting group to work with. I bet. Yeah. Um, from our chat, do you keep many of your printed items for yourself? Sadly, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that in a really funny way. So. I use my own pieces. So I have beautiful lamb's wool throws and big, soft, you know, squishy cushions. And I wear my own eco prints a lot, but equally I would make pieces. So the top that I'm wearing, just to explain for people who are listening, I have a remnant of black linen, Irish linen, and then I printed some hemp some organic hemp. And so I just made a a nice summer top where I trimmed the sleeves and the bottom of the top and around the neckline with eco-printed hemp and I combined it with the linen. But because I am, well, pre-COVID, I was due to teach. So in 2020, I was due to teach in Italy, Australia, and somewhere else internationally. And you know, my brain is a bit tired. <laughs> I can't okay. tell you where. I had three international trips. So in February of 2020, 2020, I had actually done a lot of eco printing and I had printed an awful lot of stock because I had two major events when I came home from Australia. One was going to be four days after I came home, an art fair, and then there was um, our premier craft and design fair. So I made all my work and then lockdown struck. And during lockdown, my mother's health deteriorated 
dramatically as did dad's cousin so what then happened was i had all this stock made and now i'm not in any position to go anywhere mm. so i have held a few fundraising events where i've offered it at a discount um you know for one of the earthquakes you know for syria and turkey and also um with ukraine and i have sold work but i do have a lot of stock but i enjoy using my own pieces and i like giving people gifts yep very nice I'm glad you get and they're to... Time... I'm sorry? They're timeless, really. I, I'm not doing that high fashion thing. It's more of a kind of a classical timeless thing. So uh, I know when I'm in a position to go to events again, I can just open the wardrobes sure. and take them all out. Fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you posted recently about a chair that you had oh, covered. Yes. Uh, can you tell so... us about that? That was actually a collaboration that was in a, it was in an exhibition. It was to celebrate, I think, 50 years of the Design and Craft Council. And the exhibition was called Made in Ireland. So I had, I had um, printed fabric before for a wonderful Greenwood furniture maker called Alison Espina. And she grows her own hazel and her, you know, her own wood for her mm. chairs. And she would be well known in, in her niche. And so every year she um, teams up with a designer. So she had worked with Orla Kiley. She'd worked with other people here in Ireland. And so she approached me and she thought that the eco printed fabric would be a good complement for the natural wood. So that was how we came together. And um, in fact, we have had work. Some of the pieces went to Australia before when we worked together before that was a major performance because a man was treating his wife to her 50th birthday present and she wanted one of the chairs and she wanted a footstool and we did all that i did the fabric allison made the furniture someone else did the upholstery and then we discovered like transporting leaves across the border you couldn't transport anything with bark into Australia. There were these huge restrictions on, on what could go. So you could send furniture if the bark had been stripped and the timber had been treated in a certain way. So we, I had to do more fabric and Alison had to make a whole second set of furniture. But it ultimately arrived in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is that, that was really good fun working with Alison. And you learned something about bark in Australia. <laughs> um, but what was also really interesting, and it just goes to prove, um, when, when you do a collaboration with somebody, you know, it is giving and taking. So Alison would tell me, you know, sort of an idea or colors. I, I did print samples at the very beginning when we started doing some work together. And she she liked certain prints better than others. But I've always learned that in general, um, we don't see them in the same way. So I would send the fabric down. And I usually found that the fabric had been used to upholster the pieces in the reverse way round that I would do. So oh. if I would, it was really interesting. And it was Alison and the person who physically did the upholstery because Alison made the chairs and then she had somebody else who did the upholstery. They were the people who determined which prints they would feature. So the chair, I think, and the Ottoman that you're talking about, that would have been, that fabric was printed with onion skins. But right. there were other 
other chairs that the fabric was printed with eucalyptus leaves of different shapes and colors and sizes. And every single time I sent the eucalyptus leaf printed fabric, it never ever was displayed the way I would have done it. Not <laughs> oh no. But I can yeah. see why different yeah. artists' minds see it differently. Totally. And I understand that, but I just found it very interesting because when I also went and I did selling, you know, selling events and, and curated, juried kind of, you know, shows and galleries, mm -hmm. always, not always, not exclusively, but often the pieces that would sell were the pieces that I was not as fond of myself and the pieces mm -hmm. that I particularly liked didn't always sell. Hmm. That is so yeah. interesting. Yeah. So uh, it just shows beauty is in the eye of the beholder. True. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen anything you've made that I didn't like. <laughs> Everything. <Same. Yeah>. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'd probably look very good, Emily, with your beautiful um, auburn hair. You'd probably look pretty good in all of them. And Trey, it's interesting because. Um, Men in general really loved the eco printing. And every time I, I would go to America, I would buy as many silk Hawaiian style shirts as I possibly could in any any pale color that I could find. And I would bring them home and print them. And they would usually be one of the first things to sell when I went oh. to a show. Because, yeah, it, it, men who like the eco prints and are a little bit more flamboyant in their clothing choices if they found if they found me they often would just say oh my goodness we can't find anything unusual and they'd buy three or four pieces sure well yeah, yeah. that would be like a gold mine of a cool yeah. clothing i would yeah. do the same yeah way. It, it, <laughs> it, it's interesting yep um with your work with uh with other artists is there anyone in particular in the world that you would like to collaborate with I can't say that there is as such purely because I'm so busy at the moment. I don't have that much mental headspace to even think about it. Having said that, um, I collect ceramics from somebody who's actually very local to me. Um, his name is Jim Behan. He's a wonderful potter and he also does really, really beautiful salt glazes and Japanese style tea bowls. And I collect his work. I collect a lot of, I have a lot of ceramics. And actually, you can eco print on ceramic. <gasps> and that is something that actually I have thought I should talk to him about, but I haven't got that far. But he and his wife like my work and I love his work. So I think it's something he would be open to. Uh, I just need to have a little bit of time and I, I just haven't got, got time. Right. That sounds fabulous. I hope that yeah. happens one day. I want to see that one yeah. day. Yeah. 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 He, he's a he's a wonderful um, potter. He's a potter's potter, and he does really beautiful work. Um, and he's the kind of man who's very open to to you know chatting about that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I just need to do it. One day, yes. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll, we're going to keep following you so we can watch when that happens. Oh, thank you so much. Thank right. you so much. So do you have anything upcoming that you're doing? I know you're very busy. You have a you have the free boot camp going on right now. Do you so have anything? At the moment, 
Yeah, so at the moment I have the free boot camp and then all those videos will be available until Sunday next week. But actually in the middle of this week, after the free boot camp is over on Wednesday evening, I'm opening up my membership club. It's called the Eco Print and Wet Felt Club. Okay. And I'm opening that up for new members. It's only going to be open until Sunday evening. Okay. And the reason that I keep it very tight is that it's nice to have new members joining at the same time. And then I can concentrate on helping them get integrated and, you know, meeting the other members rather than having it open the whole time and dipping in and out. Sure. So that really is the big thing that I have on at the moment. Okay. And, um, I am teaching in Australia. I mean, it booked out in five minutes, so there's no point to anybody asking about it. I'm teaching in Australia in September. And um, uh, yeah, that, that's my next big thing. Okay. But um, the, the, uh, anybody who is interested, definitely if they do click the link um, or register for my newsletter, um, I do hold different free learning experiences during the year and then usually after them i will offer a paid one so a while ago i had an upcycling clothing workshop or or course oh. available and i have an ebook so um i will be opening um something else in the autumn for registration but it will again only be open for a few you know a few days i i just find it's a better business model for me and sure. then i can concentrate fully on the people who do join Great. That is awesome. And with so many opportunities, uh, I want to make sure that our listening audience is able to connect with you online because you do post often. So I want to make sure that they are able to connect with you. Uh, what are the places that you are most active or would like uh, our listening audience to know about? Well, I'm very active on Instagram facebook and youtube but on instagram my main textile account it's just my name n-i-c-o-l-a-b-r-o-w-n clashine c-l-a-s-h-e-e-n and that account has the biggest number of followers and unfortunately i now am not able to follow anybody back from that so i just never want anybody to be um upset that i can't follow them <laughs> i've maxed out the number of people and there's over 115,000 people following me on that account so recently i set up a new account called a rustic irish life and there's an underscore between each of those words so on a rustic irish life i just set it up at the end of may but that's actually to share a little bit more of the whole daily practice and life here in rural Ireland. Um, and that's really, it's been interesting because obviously I have a business account and I can see statistics. So I'm getting more men who are interested in sustainability following me on a rustic Irish life as opposed to the pervy men who want to connect with me on the other one. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fascinating difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the age group is different. It's really quite interesting. So um, a rustic Irish life is all about daily life in Ireland. And there could be something from the kitchen or, you know, the, obviously a lot from the garden and eco printing. And I mentioned I was coming on the podcast. But um, the main textile related account, account is Nicola Brown Clashine. 
Then my YouTube account is just Clasheen, C-L-A-S-H-E-E-N. And that's where I have a lot of free information and tutorials about wet felting and eco printing. So that's youtube.com forward slash Clasheen. And I also have a public Facebook group, which you need to request to join and, you know, uh, agree to the uh, to the terms. And that is Nicola Brown. I think it's just Nicola Brown. Uh, I can't. I, I would have to look that up. But I also have um, Nicola Brown Clasheen. But I think the group is Nicola Brown. Um, yeah, that's it, really. Um, okay. And if anybody is interested in, if, if they would like to join my newsletter or anything like that, if they just look, go to either of my Instagram accounts and look up in the bio, there will be a link, you know, to my newsletter there. I release a weekly newsletter, and then when I have an event coming on, there might be an extra email or two if people are interested. Um, but people can always opt out from a series of emails as well. As far as that Facebook group goes, if you were to go to Facebook and type in um, Nicola Brown Eco Printing, it will pop up as the first one. So Thank you, you very much. It. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And real quick, before we before we move on, I wanted to say that your social media is amazing. And I was, I, and I immediately noticed that you post often and it's very prolific and you 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 have such amazing content every single time you post and you're like I don't know what your secret is but I want to know because you're <laughs> you make your 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 property is gorgeous and your the the things you do on there is everything is beautiful and you somehow look like you're inspired to post constantly whatever it is it's amazing oh well, thank you so much it is interesting. I never, ever wake up in the morning and don't want to get out of bed. So I'm actually living like some people say, oh, you live a dream life. I'm living the life that I love. I'm in a very old property. It was um, derelict for 78 years. It never had electricity or water. I hacked it back with a hammer and chisel back to the stone and then it was wow. built up again. You know, I've developed the garden, I've planted the trees. So I'm doing what I love doing. And I document it through photography, just using my iPhone. And in fact, in some ways, it's been a relief setting up the new Instagram account, A Rustic Irish Life, because I was taking so many photos myself, but I'm aware that people follow accounts for specific reasons. And if people followed me, just for eco printing and felting i can get away with one good morning post maybe in the dye borders or with the trees but i don't want to be posting content people aren't signing up for right and i'm not if you could see the table where i'm sitting i like a minimalist you know place but i'm not tidy so that's a bit of a problem and i write things down on the back of envelopes and notebooks and stuff <laughs> but i can never find it i keep every bit of <laughs> yeah so so having things taking photographs is good and therefore i would need to have my leg would have to have been cut off that would be the only reason i wouldn't be posting on instagram every wow. day it's just like it's my rule um 
I le I've learned that I have to really maximize my time. And because my because I help care for my mother and somebody else part time, I'm on the road a lot. So there are some things I do every day and every week. And one of them is I send a weekly newsletter without fail. I haven't missed once in the last year and a half. Wow. So a weekly newsletter without fail. And I post on Instagram without fail every day. I try and post a minimum of twice. But sometimes I post more often than that. And what people don't really understand is that even when you have a big account, well, particularly when you have a big account, uh, only between two and three percent of your followers ever see your posts. So don't think that you can't um, post often. You can. You don't have to. But being regular is, is the most important. So if you post every day, even if it's only once every day, it's better than posting five times on one day once a week. Okay. So I just have a few little rules for myself. Yeah. And I do, I have to say, I do now have um, an excellent um, friend, Shauna. She's my digital, digital VA. So Shauna is currently in um, Albania. And when I was live streaming earlier, she was fielding all the questions for me and highlighting them in the comments and interacting with people. And I try and outsource things where I can, which then gives me more time to be more creative. I still am not in the studio as often as I would like, but I am outside and enjoying everything that I do. Okay. Yeah, that's that's obvious. I love it. Yeah. I'm so glad that you uh, have you. found that balance that works for you. And you're doing what you love. That's that's so important and valuable. So thank you. I, I want to make sure we got that question in because I was curious about that. One thing I would say to anybody who, who is creative, I think Instagram, if you're creative, Instagram is a really, really good social media platform to be on. But my tip for anybody is to do something every day for six weeks running. And if you don't get pleasure out of it, and if you don't see that helping your business, um, forget about it. So for example, LinkedIn is not for me. Twitter is not for me, even though I, I am on Twitter, but it's not for me. YouTube is excellent and um, Instagram is fantastic and I enjoy them. So if you're not getting pleasure out of it, I mean, try one of them, but do it every single day for six weeks. And by that stage, you'll know whether you love it or hate it. Right. Oh, that's good advice. And, and don't overcomplicate things, you know, send your weekly newsletter and um, just put something really simple that you've already posted online elsewhere. You can repurpose content. Sure. Oh, okay. To that point, yes. Uh, I currently work in a learning and development for the company I'm at, and our motto is repurpose, repurpose, repurpose. So absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Nicola, I just have to say, the, the joy that you get, the knowledge that you have, and how much experience that you have has come through so much in the time that we've been talking here today. It has been such a joy to have you on. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, I've really enjoyed chatting to you both. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody. And remember to use onion skins. <laughs> Absolutely. And don't don't forget to sign up for um, Nicola's free eco printing boot camp. The, we'll include the bio when we post the episode as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Bye, everybody. Bye.
Hi, I'm Emily. Hi, and hi, I'm Trey. We want to tell you a little story about how we started this podcast. About a decade ago, Trey and I used to work together in a retail clothing store. The store that shall not be named Men's Haberdashery. And we really hit it off if you couldn't tell. Honestly, those were the days. So many jokes. Like Gary Busey. And the announcements on the intercom. This is your captain speaking. And Gonzo! <laughs> we were hilarious. We are shamelessly, intensely self-aware of our own hilarity. Because we thought we were comedians, we figured we should have a podcast. But about what? I mean, since we both had a background in the arts, maybe something about that. Right. We thought because both of us are in fashion, also you were in costuming and photography, and me in singing, corporate espionage, and theater, it totally made sense. Hey, Plus, did I mean, you just say corporate espionage? Look, I signed an NDA. Let's move on. Okay. You know, it was like one of those things where you're like, let's start a garage band, and it's exciting, and then you realize that you don't really have a garage to practice in. And then years later, like eight years later, we decided to make it happen. We bought a proverbial garage. It's so nice in here. Mm-hmm. Do you want something from the mini fridge? Um, do we have anything chocolate? I got you. Yes! So, because we both love romanticism, we both love art, so it became the Modern Romantic Podcast. And here we are. Do you know what the best part of the story is? Uh, we finally came down to Earth and realized we aren't comedians. No! We get oh. to interview artful heroes and creators while inspiring others. Okay, yes, yes. Plus, we have a wonderful, supportive community. I love connecting people. Plus, we're still delirious. I mean, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Let's never lose that. Never!